Welcome everybody to Today in Space. We have a really special and unique episode. It's about 3D printing and iterative design. These these two fundamental pieces that are behind this podcast, you know. We have our AG3D printing lab, which we help bring ideas to life and into reality with 3D printing and enabling anyone who has an idea to make changes to that to a design before they go to market. Um, and that's what's really specific about this episode. But iterative design just is a process. It's a it's a process of making small changes on a on a rapid deadline and being able to do it very, very quickly, especially compared to the traditional way of making things. SpaceX themselves uses this philosophy with uh, their spacecraft development, and in fact, we're seeing that today with the development of the Starship spacecraft in Boca Chica, Texas, in, in a, a massive grand scale. And today, we have the honor of sharing the story behind one of our customers for AG3D, two human beings who were kind enough to give me their business when I was first uh, just starting out, and now their product is about to launch on Kickstarter, and we couldn't be happier for them and to have them on to talk about it. So please welcome Jack Collins and Mike Sullivan, the creators of Snap Collar, which goes live on Kickstarter no, uh, October 13th, correct? Yes, sir. Awesome. Welcome to the show, guys. Good to be here. Thanks for having us, Alex. Yeah, of course. Um, so so t- give the folks a little bit of background about you guys. T- tell us about yourselves. Sure. Um, so Jack and I are, are two college friends. We both went to school in uh, D.C. and we, we lived together for a number of years. And we uh, kind of had, you know, sort of ambitions for other, you know, kind of side jobs that are, you know, normal place of work and just kind of were kicking around ideas. And, um, you know, we eventually ended up just kind of getting to this pain point of, you know, people getting frustrated with shirts. So it kind of just started as a, you know, curiosity thing and then you know we really started pulling on those strings and realized there was there was something there so you guys are roommates you guys basically were hanging out figured oh we've got this problem we want to and we want to solve it and then you guys kind of were like is there a business behind this am i right in uh in, in kind of summarizing that yeah exactly uh, i actually think the first time we talked about it um we were out at a bar with some friends and mike and i got to talking and um he was you know discussing this pretty particular problem uh, with shirts that, um, you know, we were young professionals at the time. So our wardrobes were, they kind of were what they were. We didn't have a lot of disposable income to update them to uh, replace shirts. We were kind of at the mercy of, you know, normal wear and tear or washer dryer and the uh, the effects that it had on the shirts. So yeah, we're thinking of um, ways to help people like ourselves. People who are just starting out who, um, didn't have the disposable income to maintain a professional wardrobe, um, but still needed to look good. And uh, that's kind of how Snap Collar was born. Then we just stereotypically started drawing on a napkin and uh, things went from there. That The two things there. First, the idea of talking about it at a bar. I mean, that does, it doesn't get any more classic than that. I think that's a, it's a great place where ideas bubble around and that's where you find this stuff out. And so you guys wrote it down on paper. Was there like a... Was there a decision point? Like, was it was it was it that night at the bar when you guys really like you could say was the moment you guys decided, or was it a little bit after? Was was there a single point that you can think of? I can I can point to one, and I can tell you exactly where I was sitting in our living room, where you know Jack and I kind of both came to the realization, you know, that we were looking to kind of do something do something different, you know, be a little more creative than kind of our our typical nine to fivers. Um, and you know, I said, kind of said, you know, here's here's the thought, uh, you know, and here's what's out there. And he said, all right, let me let me see what's out there and get back to you. And then, you know, probably about three days later, Jack came back and he's like, I'm in. 
Um, and that's and that's really where we where we started right there. And were you guys like bouncing ideas off with friends and family and just trying to like because because that that's an interesting thing that I don't think a lot of people get to where, where an idea starts, you know, like you guys kind of had to figure out, is this worth me jumping into this? Um, was there a little bit of that in those kind of three days? Yeah, I think, you know, naturally. You want to go to friends and family. Obviously, they're the most trusted people in your network. It's kind of a safe space. You know that they'll probably be supportive, and uh, that was definitely our experience. Uh, but yeah, we were able to intuit whether or not there was actual enthusiasm for something like this, and the unanimous consensus was, yeah, you know, if if there was something like this on the market, a lot of our friends would buy it. So small sample size, but that was enough to get us going into start us on this path to take an idea and make it something, you know, tangible that uh, people will be able to use. We also had a pretty good litmus test a couple weeks later that, you know, Jack and I went to an early pitch competition where it was essentially literally an elevator pitch. You had a minute, no slides, no, you know, you can't bring anything. Uh, so we went in and pitched for a minute and we, you know, we got through to the second round. They're like, it's great. What's it look like? And we were just kind of like, you know, we, you know, we kind of had the pain point. We had the customer base. You know, we had we had everything fleshed out, but it was really the the vehicle to get there was was yet to be solved. Um, so it was kind of good for us to pitch some real people. Those judges were you know actual either you know VC investors or people who had done startups or you know people who worked in kind of you know helping foster entrepreneurs. And you know they thought you know hey there there is something here. You've described pain points that you know, are certainly, you know, felt by people in different income ranges, age areas, genders. I mean, it's a pretty ubiquitous problem. So that really helped push us forward, too. Mm, yeah, I mean, the, the college shirt itself, I mean, I have some, I'm looking at one in a closet across from me right now, where the collar's all mangled up, you know, it's been, it's probably been thrown through the, the dryer a bunch of times, and it probably shouldn't have, it probably should have just been hung up, but hey, that's what happens. <laughs> and so I, I, when we first talked about this problem originally, I mean, right away for me, I, I was I was in almost immediately because I, I have I've had that problem, and I think that's always the good the good thing about a, a about an idea. Now, how long did it take from you guys decide you're going to do it to now you're at the Kickstarter? I think we're about four years at, mm. at this point. Um, yeah, that's really, awesome. really the first kind of two were were the design phase of just kind of. Getting getting the product, finding the right vendors to help us design it, and then and then being able to test it. So mm. and, and like you said, the rapid testing testing was key. So yeah, yeah. and um, that's one thing I think a lot of people who have an idea they kind of get the they kind of lose steam when they realize really how long it's going to take. Was that were you guys? I guess just to give people context, were you guys working regular jobs still? Kind of working on this kind of the midnight hour. How did that work for you guys? And has it changed over those four years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we both, uh, as Mike said, we both have careers. Uh, I've, I'm on my third job since this started. Uh, so, you know, uh, working at least 40 hours a week, personal life, social life, the whole deal, trying to balance all of that. It's it's been slow at times, and at other times we've accomplished a lot, and not a very um, not a very long period of time either. So uh, it's it's ebbed and flowed, definitely. You, you know, we we have plenty of responsibilities, but this is um, definitely an idea that's never really died. We've still had enthusiasm for it. We found time, you know, if it's an hour here, hour there, then then that's what it is. But like Mike said, we've been at it for years and uh, we're hoping to see this through to the end. Awesome. That's awesome. I I have a surprise. I have one of the early, early prototypes Ooh. here that I'll show in a second. 
but I want to know when, wh- why did you choose 3D printing? Like, when was it, and and what was your initial like? We should do 3D printing. So I think that it was exactly what Mike said the at the elevator pitch competition when he made it to the next round, and we were ecstatic. Um, to your previous question, we were up uh, really late working on our pitch. You know, kind of refining it, trying to think what the judges would want to hear. How can we get our point across? But the biggest obstacle and kind of the uh, the elephant in the room was we had nothing to show. Mm. So we, the best we could do was describe it and kind of take attention away from the fact that we had nothing to show and hope that our enthusiasm and the idea itself would bridge the gap. And it was enough to an extent, but it obviously showed how much further we had to go. That's when we really realize we need we need something to put in people's hands we need a way to make people see it a lot of the competitors in that competition you know they were they were pitching mobile apps which obviously there are a bunch of great ones out there but you can deal an abstraction there because you know it's it's intangible whereas we were talking about a tangible product that didn't exist in any form yet so we were deciding how to go about it, what would be the quickest way. And then Mike had the idea for 3D printing, went back to his network again, as you mentioned earlier, you know, family, friends, uh, see who might be able to help. And I think that that's uh, how we made our way to uh, AG3D. And uh, I feel like you're about to show uh, what we came up with after our first couple of calls. So. And- and to, and to dive into that, uh, Jack, I met through this. Uh, Mike and I grew up together. We we went through school together. Just to toot his horn just a little bit here, Mike was always the kind of guy that was doing something or had he always had like a second job. Like when we were in high school, you were taking like all the AP tests so you could just kind of skim through freshman year. <laughs> I mean, you were, you were a hustler. And I mean, I think that... That was something you've had for a really long time. Jack, has that been the same for you for with like being wanting to do a business? Has it always been something you wanted to do? Not necessarily. When uh when I was younger I wanted to be a writer and um I still do it in uh in my spare time. Uh I love it. Um read a lot, uh watch a lot of um you know, classic movies and just appreciate the writing there. But I, I never really saw myself owning my own business. Um, I, I give Mike a lot of credit because he is exactly that kind of person that you described. So uh, he's uh, he's helped me come a long way, certainly. And yeah, I, I don't I, I don't know if um, if it's only certain types of people who are going to end up owning their own business or if um, if there's just the inspiration that comes for some people and doesn't come for others. Uh, fortunately, it's come for me. And uh, and here we are. I'll say I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur until later. It was probably at some point in college. Um, my mom was telling me a story. She's like, I knew this would, you know, be you when I when I owned the a tanning salon in college or part owned. She was like, I remember you were at summer camp and you know one of the counselors called me over and you got in trouble for upselling candy. You would go to the store, <laughs> buy the candy, and then bring it back to the younger kids and sell it there. And I I didn't recall that story at all. So once she told me that, I think it's a bit more ingrained than than learned. But you know, Jack and I compliment each other well, so it's been. It's been good because, you know, really when you own, a, and you know this, Alex, you know, when you own a small business, there's always more to do. There's always something else you can do. There's always more outreach to be done. There's always, you know, some thread, but, you know, Jack's created thinking strategically as far as, you know, what is the high value thread for us to pull? You know, where can we really maximize our value because our time is scarce? We don't, you know, we have nine to fives. We're not able to plow 80 hours into this. You know, we got to be strategic with our 
you know, eight to 12 that we do do, um, you know, weekly or biweekly or, or whatever. So, yeah, no. And, and that complimenting thing, like that really is something that's so important, especially in a business. Like, and I think for me as a, what I've learned is, is to figure out what I do well and not so much outsource because I'm not quite at that point where I can just outsource the work and, and have employees and stuff like that. But, but knowing what I'm good at, is and, and it's important for anyone that's doing a business. I mean, the fact that you guys can know enough to, to complement each other and to work together, I mean, that's that's when a, a good company is formed. I think when a good idea has a chance of surviving, it's it's because of that. So that that's really I, I think that's great. Let's um let's show off. So this is one of the first prototypes. Um, this was we were trying to figure out a way to get the collar fold over because in, in my mind if we were going to get this to be dynamic it, we were thinking I think slim fit and we were thinking you know let's let's figure out a way to to make the packaging real slim and so we made a 3d printed hinge um, and I think this went like above and over the collar it was just a hey let's throw something against the wall what was that experience for you guys like was was that a big aha moment for you what what, what did that what did those early days do for you in in the iterative like Oh, this I, this is real. We can make this. I think that was helpful for us to to kind of put something on the wall to kind of see where the strengths and weaknesses were. So kind of what what do we like in this? Where does it fall short? So you know, kind of with every process, we would kind of you know almost try to poke holes at our own design and think, okay, where does this you know deliver on you know what the value add is and where it doesn't it. So that was one where you know that model worked great only if it was folded flat. And then we kind of got thinking, okay, what if someone hangs it up? Or, you know, does that take care of the inside parts? Maybe we need pressure. So it was kind of every every step we did learn something. So that was helpful. So I'd, I'd probably say we've been through at least seven or eight different designs. I think we went through about four with you. We had another one. We got about one or two designs. And then our current one, we've done about another two or three. So yeah, it is, it is you know, kind of baby steps, but it's really uh, trial and error because you, you need to hold the product and really understand this you know, where it, where it adds value and where it, you know, maybe falls short. Hmm. Right. And uh, just to add on to that, you know, beyond taking it from a concept and making it into something tangible that people can hold, uh, obviously that was huge for us. Um, me personally, I, I just gained a real appreciation for the complexity and how much work goes into designing something that, you know, at first glance is, pretty simple. As we've gone through this and uh, we've come up with uh, other ideas, be it uh, living hinges or where the snap collar is going to curve and how it's going to fit the collar. We've had conversations about like other household items and the amount of work that goes into designing those, you know, the things that people use every day and they kind of take for granted and they don't realize how difficult it is to design something and then make it happen. So I'm by no means an expert. I know a bit more than I did four years ago, but I certainly have a real appreciation for just uh, the amount of work it goes into, the amount of work that goes into getting something even to that point where it can be made into something that people can hold. Mm. No, and, and that's a huge, I think one of the big things about rapidly iterating and, and I think for you guys, and I think this is the same for when people are wondering, why should I spend money on 3D printing? It's, yeah, people look at the initial number, and it's like, yeah, it's a little bit more expensive than if you're, you've got a million-dollar mold and you're cranking out a million parts. Like, yeah, those parts are going to be cheap. But the added value of 
letting you guys learn and letting you guys have that appreciation, I think it's hard to put a number on that, especially in the early days when you're really looking with an idea, when you're looking for, you know, how do we, you know, are we, is it good? Like you're always kind of testing, like it, yeah. we like it, but you know, does it work? And I, from a scientific perspective, that's, that's how any idea in science gets, gets through. You know, you, you pose a hypothesis, which, which is what which, which you guys did, you know, it's like, Hey, let's, let's put this idea out there. It hits the road, the rubber meets the road. You, you figure out, okay, I don't like that design. Let's change it this way. And now you guys have ended up where you are because you guys have gone through the gauntlet, if you will. So I, I think it's awesome. Do you guys have a model with you guys right now? I do. Um, and, and one thing I'll say to kind of go back to the, the iterative 3D printing, it, it really lowers the barriers to entry. I mean, Jack and I were able to pay for this at the early stages out of our pocket with our decent, you know, full-time salary. You know, we weren't in any way, you know, raking it in, um, but we were able to kind of spare a few hundred here, a few hundred there. You know, as the project went along, it was, we're able to fund it that way. Mm. So it really does help people, even if you're just going to test it, it's so much more reasonable than if you're going to go get an injection mold. I mean, we're we're getting quoted ones now in the five five figure range. I mean, it's very much it's not measure twice, cut once. It's you know measure ten times, cut once. Because once you once you click buy, it's over. You know, mm -hmm. if you want to make some tweaks down the road, that is expensive. So really, 3Ds we can always kind of go back and say, you know what, let's let's try this one tweak. You know, let's make sure this this works, or let's you know rule this out. Because a couple hundred now is, you know, nothing, nothing down the road when it comes to, you know, five-figure investments. Right. So that said, I do have our our final prototype. So luckily, we have a white background here. Um, so this is this is it here. Um, so still still has kind of the horseshoe shape. So as far as the design went, one of the big breakthroughs was we were able to get a living hinge up here on top. We have three. We have one close to the front um, to apply extra pressure to the front of the collar, and then two more. So essentially, all you do is you slide up this hinge and then this folds up and then just kind of a you know pretty basic living hinge in there so that's what goes over so yeah uh one of the one of the big breakthroughs for us was probably about a year and a half ago we were getting 3d printed hinges and they were brittle i mean we had one where you know we tried to open up and just you know try it for the first time it literally snapped off and it was you know a couple hundred bucks and we were pretty frustrated and then uh you know our our designer came back to us and said you know what we do have a different material it's kind of a nylon based 3d print so we can give that a try and that's better with 3d hinges and it wasn't until we got that that we actually put it in a customer's hand and say here try this put this on sit with this for a couple days let us know what you think you know jack and i tried it on our own shirts um so and that and that's what really pushed us forward that we we tried them on a couple or we traveled with it because it's a great travel accessory and then once we realized yes. that we're like Oh, now you know. Now this really does work. We can really see it because, and again, 3D printing got us right up to that point of this is essentially what it will be like when it's mass produced. And that was that was a huge confidence boost for us that we now feel secure in going to our network and saying, you know, we are we are behind this. We have tested this. It's it's ready. Yeah, and I mean, for, just from an authenticity perspective, right? As a, as a business, you want to be as confident in your product as possible, and and having that, I mean, that's that's wild. Um, so going to like, where do you guys see this going? Where, Where is this, like, who are the people that are going to benefit from it? Because my mind's going crazy thinking about it. The travel thing I hadn't even thought of, that's great because I can't say how many times I've been in a hotel on a business trip and I've got to, I've got to maybe use their iron and like, maybe it, it's covered in rust and, you know, you never know sometimes when you're staying at places, yeah. but where else do you guys see this um, really hitting the market hard? Well, like I mentioned before, we 
always kind of envisioned uh, young professionals, college students, people with a, a budget, people with a set wardrobe, uh, using it to kind of ex you know stretch their dollar, extend the life of the shirts that they already have, because that was us at one point. So that, that's, I, I, we think that there's a, a big market there. We think that there's enthusiasm there, again, based on some of the market research that we've done. So that's always kind of been, you know, our, our prototypical customer, so to speak. Mm -hmm. To your point, though, we really think that the sky is the limit for this. Uh, we think that people could take it on business trips to make sure their collars don't get don't get smushed by the rest of their luggage, you know, um, in flight. We think that companies could issue a snap collar to their employees when they give them three polo shirts as uniforms. Um, they're working in retail or you know at the, at the counter of a hotel whatever the case may be clothing stores could sell it um alongside shirts uh, fast fashion type places where you know maybe the material isn't that great you know you're getting a deal but you know that the material isn't quite up to snuff this could extend the life of the shirt and um you know put, put the customer first so we really think that this could have a very wide reach We've talked to a lot of people who said that they could see themselves using it who are in different stages of life. So uh, we're really excited to see where this can go. So uh, the, the Kickstarter campaign, let's let's talk about that. Is there anything to, to touch on about the campaign? The, the Kickstarter has been interesting for us. I, th I think we knew kind of early that that would be a good fit for Snapcaller because it's, it's a direct-to-consumer product. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, B2B or business-to-business -business entities wouldn't really do well on, you know, a Kickstarter given, you know, their their you know markets elsewhere so we thought there was an opportunity to kind of do a launch here and it's it's almost a two-for-one where it's we are testing the market to make sure there is sufficient customer interest and if there is we're able to go then make that investment and and we're pretty confident we'll be able to get there you know we've gotten some some good support from um you know gw is going to send out some some email or sorry george washington university where jack and i went to school so they have an entrepreneur department who will help us promote this uh we got a couple instagram influencers we're gonna you know help put it out in the dc area so really it's you know like jack said it's really uh, a lot of different use cases and, and skies the limits are so really just trying to get maximum number of you know eyes to see the product because it is it is new it's not you know it's not a different shirt it's not a different style it's an entirely new product so we're thinking something novel like that is is best served on on kickstarter as opposed to you know, direct to Amazon or direct to stores or something like that. Like I said, we're we're just super excited for you guys, and this is a this is a, a really cool point uh, for us to, to to have played our small part in, in what you guys have done. And uh, you guys let me play mad scientist, which is what I love to do with 3D printing. So, anything else about the process of just like setting up a Kickstarter? I think there's so many people that have an idea and may want to do that. Was were there any challenges doing that? Was there anything new that you kind of learned that you were like, oh, I didn't realize it was like this? We've had a couple. Um, it's it's a lot more of a marketing campaign than than you would have mm. guessed. You know it. You know we you know we worked with photographers. We've worked with graphic designers. Actually, my brother's doing the videography on this. Oh, so cool. more more Sullivan uh, network on on this one. So it, it is a lot of materials to put together. You know you really can't just go and you know we couldn't copy and paste our elevator pitch. We had to really show that you know this is a real product. Here are the use cases. Here are the value adds. So the amount of media that went into it was was somewhat surprising, but kind of once once we got going, we we had a pretty good idea, and obviously able to kind of borrow heavily from other successful Kickstarters and see 
see what worked. Oh, you know, we liked how they, you know, inserted GIFs here, or, you know, this video was, was pretty funny, or so just kind of being able to, you know, lean on, lean on the creativity of others was, was helpful for us. Yeah. And again, uh, we've done a number of business plan competitions through George Washington University School of Business. And some of the people who we were up against uh, have launched successful Kickstarters, and we've been able to use them as a resource for advice or questions on next steps, things that we have to do. I, I will say Kickstarter website uh, is very intuitive. Uh, it's been relatively straightforward to set up. So that's certainly been an enormous help. But uh, I think the biggest thing is just seeing people who were in our position at one point uh, take their product and go and have a successful Kickstarter was what really made it uh, attractive to us and made it a realistic step uh, that we could, you know, a goal that we could shoot for. So what's, where, where are you guys, uh, do you guys have multi-tiered goals? Can you guys share any of that before the launch? What can we expect for you guys for this, for this campaign? Yeah. Um, so kind of pretty standard goals. So the, the kind of short or the, the smaller donor levels are really just different numbers of snap callers. So there's a one, three and a five uh, level pledge. There's also going to be stickers and postcards, you know, support the USPS. Obviously the Kickstarter and postcards will be done after the election. So the mail service will have Calm down a little bit. Everyone, make sure you submit your uh, submit your votes by mail or, or go vote in person. But some of the later ones, we're gonna uh, offer uh, a Zoom call with a lunch or a dinner option. So there's gonna be, I think it's a $500 for uh, Zoom lunch or $1,000 for Zoom dinner. And then obviously that comes with a, a ton of snap callers. And we're hoping um, some of the people at higher levels kind of see this more as a gift opportunity. So you know, you buy you buy five snap callers, you get one for dad, you get one for your uncle, you get one for your friend. Um, you know, this could be something you throw in groomsmen packages, you know, kind of a good bachelor party idea. Just throw it in with a bunch of, you know, knives or, you know, flasks or, you know, five hour energies, yeah. whatever you're going to, whatever you're going to do. I can see this, you know, going in something like a Spezza box or, you know, something like that. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where we're at for levels. We are going to have some limited amounts. So they're, you know, the, the early backers will save a little bit on, on the one, three and five pack, but there's, you know, again, we're not setting a limit on however many we sell. So if we, you know, we're setting a goal of 20,000, if we, if we blow past that, you know, we're, we're just going to keep on going. We got, we got 30 days. Let's see what we do. That's, that's exciting, man. Like I said, we, we wish you guys all the luck. We'll, we'll be sharing this out there, spreading the word for you guys. To close out, do we have any uh, final thoughts for, I guess, just Snapcaller and where you guys are today and, and maybe where you're looking to go in the future? So it's been a journey, right? Four years. Uh, you showed the first, um, <laughs> the first prototype that we ever made. And uh, honestly, I, I had forgotten about that one <laughs> so long ago. And uh, the thing Batman throws. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, it was so long ago, and, and, it, and it looks so much different now. And uh, but we wouldn't have been able to get to this point without that, right? Without starting someplace, without building off of something. And uh, it's it's been great. I've certainly learned a lot. Uh, I think that we can add value to a lot of people. I think that um, there's going to be enthusiasm for the pro for the product. And uh, I, I'm just excited to see where it goes from here. Uh, it's been an awesome journey, learned so much, made so many contacts I wouldn't have made otherwise. And uh, I have every reason to expect that to continue happening. So I'm thrilled. I know Mike feels the same way. And um, yeah, it's been awesome. Not that not that we need to really plug you on your own podcast, but you know, a lot, a lot of that was helped with kind of having someone to 
kind of walk us through and, and show us how easy this was? I mean, we were a bit scared of 3D printing to begin with. We didn't know its use cases, you know, how, I mean, we, we see stuff on the news where people are, you know, 3D printing houses or they're 3D printing like bike lanes in Denmark and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but to be able to talk to you and go, no, you know, really it's, you know, few man hours, a couple hundred bucks, and, you know, you can really get a design, you know, just like that. So for anyone who's listening and you, you do have an idea, you know, pull that thread a little bit, see what, see what comes of it. I mean, you never know. I mean, it's really, you know, there's a lot of businesses that fail and there's, and there's some that work. So, you know, until you, you know, try and, you know, try to bring that product into the world, you won't know. That's, again, just from the mad scientist perspective, like I, I, I love the idea of just bringing literally literally bringing an idea into reality and you know it's it's taken a long time for me to 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 have the technical knowledge and understanding of that but it is something that 3d printing faces it's it's also any any science can eventually look like magic so to to be able to to shepherd you guys through that that's that's the 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 value i i hope to add to anyone that that reaches out and and uh um, just so glad that it that it worked out and we were able to get you guys where you were. So with that, uh, let's let's close out real quick. A little bit of space. Do you guys have any uh, space or sci-fi movies that you're loving? Because I'd like to give people just you know something if if they're on a Friday night or they need a little a little escape from everything that's going on. Anything that you guys love? I'm a big Gravity fan. I've always felt that that never gets you know enough support for how. Um, almost disturbing it is. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so quiet and cold and desolate in space. And it's, it's really hard to get that across in, you know, that doesn't come across in, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy or Armageddon or a lot of those other movies, you know, they call it the last frontier, but, you know, we forget frontiers used to be really scary. I mean, the frontiers in, you know, the United States as they're exploring things or the depths of the sea, I mean, these are not, there's a reason people don't go to these places. Um, so I thought Gravity did a great job. And I think one of the best things was the fact that it had no soundtrack where, you know, really when it was quiet, it was dead quiet. You could hear yourself. So I'd, I'd plug Gravity. I mean, you know, certainly uh, probably tough to watch now as, as everyone's kind of isolated. But, um, you know, I, I thought that did space a, a heck of a lot of justice. I'm a big movie guy. Mike will be one of the first people to tell you that. Uh, sci-fi probably isn't my forte, but uh, if I had to pick a favorite, it, it still has to be Terminator 2, one of the best action movies of all time. Um, also, in addition to the action, just some interesting ideas about time travel and um, you know the uh, space-time continuum, whatever you want to call it. What, what's the term I'm searching for, Alex? Uh, no, yeah, you've got it. I mean, yeah, okay. just just that whole. I mean, that and then with Skynet and everything mm-hmm. in that movie. I mean, that that movie gives you the chills of like what could come in the future. So, um, it seems closer and closer when you got things like uh, Neuralink and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, just inter- interesting questions uh, when you're not watching chases and things blow up. Like, spoiler alert for a 30 year old movie. If at the end of the movie all the chips are destroyed what did we just watch hasn't the future already been changed can you really change the future um don't the terminators know what's going to happen if mm. connor is manifestly going to lead this rebellion in the future anyway like don't they know they're doomed to fail uh, movie kind of ignores those questions or it doesn't answer them rather it puts them there uh and i think that that's enough but uh yeah i've seen that probably 50 times and uh, i'm sure it'll be 51 at some point soon 
Oh, for sure. Um, so okay, so so as as a someone that loves writing, is there any movie that just the the writing of it, like you could watch it over and over again, or you just you're just like, man, like I can't believe what they did with that. Can't think of any movie off the top of my head. It's okay. Books um, are cool too. Books are great too. Um, I read Ulysses a few years ago for the first time, and uh, that took. It took a while. It took a lot of rereading. It's very dense, but uh, and yeah, it's obviously of its time. But it's it's very funny. I was surprised how often I laughed out loud at uh, at some of what's in there. So that's great. Huck Finn uh, is probably uh, my favorite book. I've read it a dozen times at least. I think it was Hemingway who said that uh, every American novel before Huckman is a epilogue epilogue to it and every novel after is a prologue to it couldn't agree more mm. um yeah uh, those are the two that jumped to mind immediately as as mike knows uh, thank you for sharing first of all uh but as mike knows i hated english um i think i think i literally we had some bad it. teachers we had we thank you mike thank you <laughs> So it's a little, it's a subtle thing that doesn't get spoken very often, but you're right. But no, I mean, I, I, I remember we had an English class. I, the Scarlet Letter is one of those that you just, I just hated reading. Um, and everyone just had to read it. Catcher in the Rye was also one I loathed, but hey. <laughs> I, I managed, I, I, I'm one of the few people in my age group, I feel like, who managed to avoid Scarlet Letter. I had a oh. very eccentric very smart but very odd English teacher in high school and I hope he doesn't listen to your podcast um but he essentially said yeah we're not gonna so we read a lot of American short stories uh read a lot of poetry and uh that was great and uh, what most people say I dodged the bullet I'm sure there are people like the scarlet letter out there but doesn't sound like they're on this call well, I'm sure, you know, at some point, Alex will have to do a reunion show of uh, the video he shot of the Scarlet Letter, I believe. So that, that footage is out there somewhere. I will give our, our high school credit of giving us a lot of good dystopian futures as far as, you know, Fahrenheit 451. Mm. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Brave New World is another one. Um, and then uh, Piggy and Lord of the Flies and, and all that stuff. So they, you know, there were certainly some to kind of get you going, but yeah, there was always kind of the, the, the snooze fest in between. But, uh, yeah. you know, we came out on the other end okay. That's true. That's true. We, we did now you see why I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those days, man. I, you know, it's funny. It, it, I only really thought about this recently, but all those movies we used to do, I mean, one of the great things about our teachers back in, the, in high school was, in our town, was they were very open to like creative ways to to like okay if you if you don't write a, want to write a report you really hate it all right make a movie yeah so make a movie and like I took that option every single time um, and we had a group of friends that uh, you know there was like there was like a whole pack of kids in town that were just you know oh I'm doing a movie for Spanish oh I'm doing a movie for English and we were always like in each other's videos I mean some some good some good times back in the day. Yeah, the the Norwood Screen Actors Guild is quite big. <laughs> well, awesome guys, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I I really appreciate it, and wish you guys good luck on the the October thirteenth launch. Thank you, appreciate it. Look forward to uh, to having a great day. So uh, yeah, everyone check it out. Uh, we'll be sharing the link with the with the video here. Uh, and if anyone has questions, you know, snap call or otherwise, you know, please reach out to Jack and I. We're we're pretty accessible. We love talking to people. 
Thanks, Alex. You're welcome. Uh, last thing, to, uh, is there any uh, social media or anything else they should uh, follow you guys on? Uh, we are at Snapcaller on Instagram, and, and you can find Snapcaller on, on Facebook as well. So those are, our, those are our big two right now. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time on Today in Space.